Mr. Divine, we are back on the pod, and I got to tell you. Have you pressed record? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you have? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just chilling. I'm just chilling. I'm like... I'm looking down at my phone. I'm like, whatever, dude. Dude, whatever, I press record dude. right away. Yeah, we've been we've been rolling, man. Um, you have well, first of all, how are you feeling? Because I know you got the vid. Is this uh, number three for you? Something like that. Screw the vid, dude. Oh, I'm God. two days in. I feel fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Well, I don't um, feel 100 percent fine. I feel sort of like I think 80. percent I actually. It was a super weird experience this time. I had, um, like, I woke up in, I went to bed at like 11 o'clock. Yeah. And I woke up at one in the morning feeling like I was dying. Brutal. Like, yeah, totally fine at 11 o'clock, dying at one o'clock in the morning. And then progressively through the night, just sweated. Temperature went up to 40. Um Felt super gnarly. And yeah. then and then it kind of like, and then it's just been kind of like it, like that day, I felt kind of like, okay, by the afternoon. And then I'm sort of like on 80%. Fine. Fine. Yeah. yeah. Well, but we didn't get me this time. It's, <laughs> it's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I'm glad you're up and at them. It's fun. Yeah. I was just out there. I don't think I caught the vid from you, but we were mighty close. Close we mighty proximity. Close. Breathing on each other's. Times. that's right Uh, yeah man yeah a little snuggle little snuggle buddy so yeah so talk we're talking about that let's let's jump into like well first of all if you are um here to listen about all things base welcome welcome to the podcast we're going to be talking about um a bunch of interesting things um in this episode and we're kind of sort of like switching things up a little bit with the pod instead of focusing on one topic per episode we're going to be jumping into a a few different topics per episode moving forward um so let us know if you like it um and so this week we're going to be talking about why reverb.com sucks sucks Um, yes sucks sucks Um, we're going to be talking about analog versus digital pedals like what the differences are and does it actually matter Mm -hmm. and why you want to be thinking over like one over the other Um, and then we're also going to be talking about well we're going to jump into that right now and it's to do with why ian was over here um you were over here Ian, recording a bunch of youtube videos we were on a a youtube video marathon dude (laughs) and and it was this one was really fun i mean it's always fun i love coming out there I love it. I love eating an English breakfast. Dude. Oh yeah, dude! You, love, the English at the Crown Plaza Hotel. Dude, at the oh, Crown yeah. Plaza, let's go. Sausages, and, hash oh. browns, hash browns. Uh, you know the potatoes were a little suspect this time, so I just went Ooh. meat and eggs. And I don't do beans either, so I'm not. I'm not like a full English. I mean, I just do like the sausage, a little bit of bacon, egg, black pudding, black pudding. I do. I do love some black pudding, and then I do tomato. And yeah, it's it's amazing and then gav shout out to gav classic i mean gav's the og gav would roll around you know and scoop me up in his little car and we would roll to the studio and then i'd get to hang out with you and we would shoot amazing. youtube videos it was so fun man it's it cool so as well fun. isn't it because the hotel's like literally just like i don't know like five minute drive or something like that it's so it's so really easy, easy. Yeah. yeah it's, it's easy really- it's great and then we basically get in that studio We've done some prep, but a lot of the magic happens when we're just in the midst of that recording, hit record, and, you know, we talk about the stuff we're, we talk about. So if we're doing a five greatest, a ten greatest, breaking down a great baseline, we're going through all this stuff, but then the interaction is so fun, like the way yeah. you play something versus the way I play it, how you feel about Rush versus the way I feel about <laughs> Rush, <laughs> you know, and just getting into all that. Oh, man, it's it's fun. So and then shout out to the edit team at SBL as well, because they then take the the, you know, rantings of two madmen and have to spin it into an appropriate amazing youtube video so you know shout out to yeah, sharon yeah. connor who else and dan 
is doing Dad. some YouTube editing as well. Man, Gav, shout out to that team. Alan, Gav. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, in the studio. Yeah, and did I say Connor? I think I did. Yeah. And yeah, Shaz. I've got this sort of like impending doom of like, oh no, who do we miss out? Who do we say? Yeah. yeah. And and also to shout out Jim too, because Jim was in the studio and Jim would be fact checking for us. And it just yeah. at some point became fat chicken Jim. Jim, chicken we Jim, love yeah. you so much. Jim is amazing in a production role. He's awesome. But yeah, I mean, what are we doing in there, Scott? What the hell? Are we just talking shit? No. We're, we're, we're doing some real stuff. We're yeah. educating the masses. So if it's interesting to anybody, um, hopefully slightly interested, the way that we do it is because like Ian obviously is in Minneapolis and I'm over here in the UK. We have to batch the YouTube videos that we do together. We can't do them weekly. And, and so fr frankly, we wouldn't do that anyway, but it, it puts us under even more pressure to be able to batch them. So yeah. the last time you came, how many times have you come over to do like a YouTube batch? Is it just the ones for the YouTube? Cause we've done yeah. other stuff, but it was just once for the YouTubes, right? Yep. I've been over four times. Two of them were for YouTube batching. Two of them were for you two. And, and this is the, the second one. This just was been. the second one. Exactly. This was the second one. So we'd done it before. So Ian had come over before. It was for slightly longer. Um, and we just d did like, we over prepped for it. We were just like, we just like killed ourselves preparing for it. Yeah. Um, and like weeks of prep going into it. And if, if you, you know, you might not know this, but like Ian and I, we might, we might not be the prepping type. <laughs> <laughs> We like the we like it loose. Like, yeah. Oh man, I do. I like it when those cameras come on and you're just like, hey, yeah, yeah. 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 It doesn't work for everything, but yeah, I think um, yeah, we really prepped hard coming the first time, and then the second time we did less. And I don't know, dude. A what do you less. think? A, a, a lot. Dude, you're right, dude. Substantially less. less. Substantially, like I literally didn't have really anything to do with it, other than sort of like I looked at the titles. Um, you know, and you'd sort of like put bullet points and stuff like that down. So we'd just like really not prep that much. And for me, um, like the proofs. So I think there's two things to, will they be as good for YouTube, the videos? I'm not sure. Cause we actually right. took a, a few risks because we hadn't prepped as much. It, it meant that we were like more flexible when we were filming the videos. So will the, will they be, as gangbusters on YouTube, we're not sure. We're just going to have to sort of like roll with the punches and figure that out as we go. So that's so like performance of the YouTube videos aside, I enjoyed this one more because Same. it was like looser, less kind of like organizationally, like, you know, sort of, like, I guess sort of it, it felt more improv when we were yeah. just going with it. And then we got in the studio, we recorded for, six days in total and we recorded 16 videos so six days in total and 16 videos we filmed across those um, and some of them like a hand maybe a third of them were just kind of like in inspired by just being in the studio with each other and we're exactly. like oh that remember that baseline from that album oh yes we should we should make a youtube video okay let's do that today scrap all of the stuff that we were th we thought we were right. going to do let's do this instead so there was a lot of that and i really enjoyed that side of it um like we did that last time as well but it wasn't as loose as it was this time so so it all that to say i think that um for the experience that I, I, like i loved it i loved it i loved it too, i man. loved not having to like prepare for like four weeks beforehand um, no. and then in terms of the performance Ugh. we'll see what happens and then also right. just loved loved to hang with you uh, we wish we could have hung more actually like we got sort of like we, we got to hang and stuff like that but yeah. you know like i've got you know, if you you guys don't know, I've got like kids and stuff and a wife and stuff and I can't completely disappear for the week. So I need I to sort of like go and do sort of like family stuff as well during the week. But yeah, I think that next time I'm going to sort of like carve even more time out just for the hang. Amazing. Um, but what I really did like is when we were hanging kind of the, uh, the, and the reason why we're talking about this is because it involves all you listeners, because I'm sure that you, you know, check out our YouTube channel that we've been talking about the, uh, the push and pull between different content types and trying to lean more into um, content that will really inspire people to come back to the channel every single week. More right. sort of like, and, and we've got example because right now, you know, 
it's not like that because one might be a beginner's lesson, one might be a more advanced lesson, one might be on funk bass, another one might be on reggae bass or like disco bass lines. It's not for everybody. And I think that as a as a as a watcher of the YouTube channel, that might be confusing sometimes mm. because you're like, should I be going to visit SBL this week or should I just not? Like, I don't, I'm not sure what sure. to expect. Yeah. I'm not sure. We haven't got repeating content on there that really um pulls everybody together as a community that, that everybody's kind of like just like loving that content and they're just like fuck this is the best right but what what we've done over the last two or three months is we we we've been putting sort of like experimental content onto the youtube channel that being the marcus miller interview that we did yeah. and then we did a guy pratt one and then we did the um who was Linder. it? Henrik Linder and then Rob Malarkey and Richard Spaven. Yeah. Like, hell, go check those out if you haven't already yeah. over on the YouTube channel. They're like all an hour apiece and every single bass player should watch those because they're so inspiring. Without a in- doubt. Yeah, and they're inspiring because, yeah, these are sort of like heavy-hitting bass players. Tick, great, okay? But right. the format of the videos is great. We're not kind of like just talking about who they were or who they are, where they came from, where they're touring next. Like we're <laughs> grilling them. Like, yeah. hey, you, it's more, and we've been toying with the idea of calling this series of videos called Behind the Baseline. And it's really hooking up with legends of the bass and discussing, okay, like you played this great bass line. Let's talk about it. What's your, what was the studio like? Who was on the gig? What yes. effects were you using? What bass was it that you were using? Okay, now teach us the riff. And the first one that we did like that was that Marcus Miller interview that I did down in London. Um, so we did that. That was awesome. Um, and we uploaded that onto the channel. It went wild on YouTube. And the reason why I think that we're so inspired about that content is because it's content for everybody. And right. also, it ticks the box of it's supporting the great players out there because, hell, you know, we need to shine a light on people that, you know, have, have, have had these amazing careers or are just getting into it right now. And you guys on the way up or new girls on the way up, right? And we need to be shining a light on them. So it, it supports the players. It also ticks the box of gear because we're talking about the gear they use the effects they use all of that it also ticks the box from an educational perspective because they're showing us how they played it their approach and it also so it brings the entire community together uh, which is something that i'm really excited to bring to our channel because i feel a whole when i think about you know back in the day bass player magazine you know that isn't really around anymore like it used to be Back of in the course. day, it was yes. the linchpin of the bass community in many ways. It supported so the it supported the bass players. It supported the artists. It supported the gear manufacturers. It supported everybody. And really, I think that there's a hole that hasn't been filled. And I would love for this kind of more sort of like. Uh, well, the, like com- I would call it like legacy content or community-driven mm-hmm. content. Somebody that every single week, you know, whatever week it is, you know that we're dropping a piece of content. You're like, oh, I need to go to SBL and check it out yes. because I know without a shadow of a doubt that there's a piece of content on there that we've published that's going to blow my mind. Um, yes. So we've been really excited about really leaning into that. And we were like having a five guy. We had five guys and we were like- Oh yeah, we did. Oh, and, and I was just like, dude, dude, we should just like do something in Minneapolis. And like within half an hour, we've messaged Sonny, uh, who plays bass for Corey Wong and obviously had played bass with Prince. Uh, I messaged, uh, Brown Mark, who was in my, in like my favorite Prince bass player. God damn, the guy's so funky. Yeah. Yeah. The revolution band. Yeah. Um, we reached out to Charles Bear too. Um, we reached yes, out right. to Nicole Rowe and we reached out to yes. them and we were just like, Hey, do you want to come and do this? Con- like we want to do this new style of content for the channel. Do you want, they were like texting us back. I was like, this is it. Let's, let's crush it. So all that to say that I thought it was just important to let you guys know what, um, direction we're trying to, you know, lean into. And, and don't worry, like, I want to keep doing all of the stuff that we are doing, you know, all of the YouTube, you know, the, the lessons, the riff yes. breakdowns, the greatest baselines, like all of that stuff. We want to keep that as it is. This is sort of like an additional content type that we want to bring to the channel because I want to 
I want to really bring the base community together and, and find a content style and type and format that supports not only every single bass player, whether you're just picking up the bass for the first time or you've been yeah. playing for 30 years. Right. So it supports you in that way and all of your gear needs, you know, yes. like gives you sort of like insight into the, the gear, uh, the gear nerdery of the pros, um, but also really supports the artists as well um, and gives them a, a platform that they can come to if they want to connect to a, a, a really fantastic bass audience like yourself. So, all that to say that we're super excited about it. And yeah, uh, yeah and and, it, and again, if you haven't seen those interviews, Marcus Miller, Henrik Linder, Guy Pratt, and then Rob Malarkey and Richard Spaven do uh, a video on like Dilla drumming and drum and bass. All four of those interviews are so fun. There's also a thing at the end, the string change challenge yeah. where they're, you know, and it's funny and it's sort of based on like hot ones where they're, you know, I'm throwing trivia at them and they're trying to change strings on a bass and it's so much fun. And yeah, and they're breaking down tunes and they're talking about their pedal boards. And so agreed it's legacy content. All that stuff is just, growing it's just slowly growing and growing and growing yeah. and we want to do more of it for sure so yeah and and please let us know too wherever you reach out to us let us know who you'd like to see in that format who you want to see an hour-long interview with and you might want to hook us up as well like if you know somebody and yeah. you're like oh i would look i know this i know this guy i know this girl i would love to see them on that show like feel, feel like feel free to reach out over instagram and hook us up or support at scott's bass lessons and hook us up there like one that i would love that needs to happen like yeah. think about it like content that needs to be in the world yes right exactly here's a piece right that needs to exist yeah Stuart zender okay yeah talking about and taken us through all of the legendary Jamiroquai bass lines that he yes. that he wrote and played. If if that piece of content doesn't exist, something wrong went. Yeah, I mean, something wrong went <laughs> happened. Something wrong happened in the world. Like that yeah. is a piece of content that really needs to exist in the world. Agreed. So I would love to make that happen. I would love to do something with um, Carol Kay as well. I'd love to do something with Carol Kay. I think yes. that that would be just so fantastic. So there well, is, and yeah. You know, when we were at Five Guys, too, I reached out to Larry Graham. Oh, Larry Graham, that, yeah. That yeah. needs to happen, too. And Larry Graham has not gotten back. But I'm still hopeful, dude. I'm still hopeful. I mean, Larry Larry is the godfather of slapping the bass. I mean, Larry Graham invented slap bass. Yeah. And if we don't talk to him, I'm going to be sad. Yeah, me so too. So if you know Larry, let him know we're legit dude reach out to larry let him know hey you got to get on that sbl uh, on the podcast or on the youtube show uh what do you want to call it scott behind the baseline behind the baseline yeah hell yeah it's incredible yeah, i think it'd be wicked so that's that's what we got coming up for you we this this train is rolling and we are we're batching content i'm heading out we're doing that we're still doing individual videos and we want to make amazing interviews baseline breakdowns with all of your favorite bass players so it's all on the way it's done amazing. yeah yeah making it happen now yeah do you know something or do you want to know something ian do I'd you want to know why reverb sucks dude i want to ah. know why does it suck so bad i know well first of all caveat this isn't just about reverb and, and and if you were waiting for some kind of sort of like gruesome bloodbath where we bash the crap out of reverb.com you ain't gonna get it um but what you will get is like maybe like an insight into how ian and i have been let down in the past and um with our uh, base purchases not yes. only from reverb but on ebay and talk base and base chat and all of those places right buying yes. you know buying bases online why it sucks and and what you think you might get ain't what you're going to get and actually it's not about people ripping you off it's not about mm. anything like that it's it's well do you do you want to take it Ian? because you told a great story actually recently which one was that? We were talking about this in Leeds. It was when you um, went to Andy's recently. 
Oh God! So yeah, yeah you've been you. looking on yeah. the website. You've been looking yeah, on Andy's website. Right, There's all of, of these bases in in your mind. Yes. You're like, oh, that one, that one's going to be the one. Oh, and this other one as well. This candy apple Ed, oh, candy oh. apple red jazz. But that's going to yes. be, and it's a nineteen. You know, whatever, right? Yes. And you sort of, and 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 the deal is that that your brain, you're kind of sort of like you're listening with your eyes almost. You're looking at this yeah. bass. You're imagining yes. what it's going to sound like, and, and the playing. The oh yeah, and the playing's going to be oh, playing this thing's going to be like butter. And, <laughs> and the reality, and you even try to yeah, you you look at the photos of the one that's and you and you wonder oh that string action actually looks pretty low. That looks pretty oh, good. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, and yeah, and you're like, yeah. and then you and then you get it. You know, if you order something and you're like, oh, this needs a full setup or whatever. But yeah, what Scott's referring to when I was over there in the UK, I went to visit Andy Baxter, and if you've never seen Andy Baxter's site, you gotta go. Is it Andy Baxter Bass and Guitars? Just Andy type in AndyBaxterBass.com. Great site. Incredible. And he gets unbelievable stuff. And uh, he gets a lot of it from America. It makes me crazy because, you know, he gets a lot of it from the States and ships it over there. And then if you want it <laughs> stateside, you got to ship it back, dude. But I went over there um, to hang with Andy for a day. We had such a good time. Andy, you're the best, man. If you ever listen to this, you're the best. Thanks for your time. We hung out, shot some video, just hung out. And he had a 53 P base. Now, I have a custom shop version of that base of, of a 51. So it's the butterscotch sort of, you know, telly base, single coil pickup right in the middle, black pick guard surrounds both horns. You can probably see it in your mind. It's like the first electric base. And I have always wanted a cool example of an original one. Now, I think he has one there. I think it's 22,000 pounds, dude. Wow. 22,000 pounds. So this wasn't on, it wasn't, I wasn't going to go buy it, but what an opportunity to go even just play it. I've never yeah. played one. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then I'm going to have to figure out how to sell kidneys and other bases to buy it. Right. And I went and I picked it up, plugged it in. Here we go. Oh, it's going to be. And it was just okay for me. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it was, eh, and, he and it, won't have, it won't have been anything to do with the setup either. Cause just to put it out there, Andy Baxter is like the nerdiest of nerds yeah. when it comes like when a bass goes in that shop, he pulls that apart and he inspects all of the serial numbers and the screws. And like, he yes. is sort of like the, he's the vintage collector's vintage collector. He's it's like, so true. he's a badass. Yes. So, um, but it's to Ian's point though, you know, whatever you think, when you look at the pictures on a site, it actually tells you fucking nothing about the bass. Nothing. Nothing. And Zero. even if you hear it, <laughs> even if someone is playing it, it's still so different when you get it in your hands, how it feels, how it sounds. And look, this bass was really nice. And to your point, Scott, Andy had done all the work. It played great. It just wasn't exactly what I was expecting. I have a custom yeah. shop one that actually I like better that my custom shop. I was like, Oh, I'm perfectly fine with that. And in a way it was a bit of a relief, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Like I was sort of relieved. And yeah, then yeah. Andy was yeah, like, well, you got to play all these. Yeah. He's like, you got to yeah. play all these others. And he had a sunburst 57 P base that was, you know, in 57, uh, fender transition to a P base that we all know and love the split coil. But, in early 57, they were still single coil. Now think of this sunburst white pit guard that envelops both horns. Think of like Sting's bass. It's kind of that vibe. And, it has and this contours. is the one that you don't like. So you'd seen this on the website. Flicked, and I was like, ah, I don't eh, like that. Yeah. Who that cares? Whole, yeah. They, they look a bit whack, right? Just blue by it. Yeah, I Blue don't love it. the sunburst with the white pit guard. I never have. Like, nah, no thanks. It's not for me. And he's like, oh, you got to try this one. I was like, yeah. And you didn't right. even want to try it. You I didn't even like, want to yeah. try it, dude. I was like, yeah. oh, all right. But, and you know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, Andy is there. He's I'm playing all his bases. And, I mean, a 57P bass, of course, I'll try it. But I was, I had zero expectations. I thought I'd play a couple of notes and put it down and go, wow, great bass, you know, and but sort of be lying. And I picked yeah. it up. And it went like, foom, 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 foom. and I went, fuck, like it was so good. <laughs> and I was like, no. And I was like, Andy, this is good. And he's like, yeah, yeah, of course. It's a 57, early 57 P base that I've set up. And of course it's good. And I was like, <gasps> 
And he's like, ah, put it down, play some other stuff. And I was like, no, <laughs> like, I want to keep playing it. I, I'm oh looking at it God. right now. I'm looking at it's, it right it's now. An, Scott, it's an incredible instrument. It's incredible. It's and incredible, then yeah. I played some other things. And then there was a, six, a 1966 Candy Apple Red P-Bass. Now, again, you know how I feel about P-Basses, Scott. Well, two things. I'm looking I, at it I'm, now. I lean jazz bass, but then yeah. also a P bass with flats makes me drool for some strange reason. <laughs> there is like P bass with flats is an intoxicating sound. And he had this red candy apple red, beautiful 66. And I played it and it was incredible. Shit. It was so good. And I had just hung out with Ian Trusheim. Shout out to Ian Trusheim in Baltimore, who does work uh, for the SBL Blueprint program. Killing bass player. He has also an original 66 that he brought out to coffee. I was on a gig. He brought it out. It was so cool. You know, but his the thing that he likes and the thing that I like are maybe a little different. And I remember playing that bass, and it was really cool. But I was also it was fine to give it back to him. I wasn't like, oh, man, you know, sell this to me. But it is so wild, right? It's like... You pick up something. So that 66 Candy Apple Red at Baxter's, I don't know. Maybe the action was a little different. The strings, I don't know what it was, but maybe it was the room. Maybe it was I hadn't eaten food all day and I was like <laughs> out of my mind, just over-caffeinated, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and it was killing, killing. Was killing? Yeah. And then I played all of these jazz basses that I, that, and it just made me want to go back and play the P basses. It, it's probably Freudian. It's, it probably means that I need to just play a P bass. God damn it. You know, God damn it. <laughs> just Andy Baxter, just making me question my whole life and my choices. And, uh, but you know, and, and so the point of this is to say, that if I would have ordered something on Reverb, on eBay, bought something on TalkBase, you do not guarantee that you're going to like the thing that shows up. So I guess, like, what's the advice, Scott? Is it like, go play it if you no, can? No advice. <laughs> <laughs> but in all, in all seriousness, I, I don't have any. It's happened mm. so many times. Yeah. So many times. You've got some too. You've got a couple stories about this as yeah, well. Yeah, I went to I went to down to the bass gallery, that, and I wasn't going there to buy the bass, but they had at this custom shop heavy relic thing that in there at the time that looked absolutely insanely cool. Yes, I yes. picked it up and I was just like, meh. It was like just nothing. It was like whatever, you know, like it just, you know, it looks a million dollars. It plays just like just like a wasn't eh. bad, but it, yeah, it's it, just and, okay. and then yeah, and then I was telling you that I was, we were talking about this earlier, and then I picked yes. up this Tokai Jazz, which was like black, chipped to shit. It yeah. was just like looked like it'd been dragged around, but not in a cool way. It was just sort of like you know, it wasn't yeah, like the right. cool relic vibe. It was just sort of like it just looked like it'd been hammered in the back end, yeah. in the back of a school closet for like thirty years. But yeah, this like eighties Tokai black jazz. And so here's in something interesting as well. Yeah, I'll give you even more context because this is super cool. So I played that custom shop P bass. I was like, ugh. And I was like, oh, I wonder if they've got any. And this was like a few years ago. And this is, again, no. Here's, and just to, to, like, to put this up, as, up front as well, this is no knock against the, the shops. Of course. They can't do anything about this. Literally How you feel about nothing. a bass. Yeah, they can <laughs> yeah. do nothing. But they just, like certain basses have it. Certain bases don't. It's they're made out of wood. It's an inconsistent material. Yeah. The end, right? It right, just, it's, right. It's, it's that it is, you know. So, um, so the shops can't do anything about it. So I picked up the jazzes. They had the, all of these. They had like a '66 jazz in there. I think mm. they had a '60, like an early '60s jazz, but it was a refinished one. Yeah, I think they had like three or four jazzes, all very expensive. Yes, um, I played them all. And, and I was kind of looking for a jazz at the time, but nothing, you know, they were okay, played okay, nothing, right. you know. And then for whatever reason, I picked up this black Takai jazz and it and it was amazing. Right. It was amazing. I should have bought How, the bass. 800 bucks? 800 quid, I think. Yeah, yeah. something like eight or 900 quid. I should have bought it. 
It yeah. was one of the best I've ever played. And it, and again, and I've got other stories like this. There was a one where I went to bass direct. I've told that story before. There was this seventies jazz. I'd looked at all of the other jazzes. I oh, picked yeah. up this seventies jazz randomly because I was just sat next to it. I'd seen it on the website. Just looked. Ugh. It was like that that seventies it period where I don't like the sunburst. I'm like, Ugh. Yes. it's got like it's like really <laughs> red in the summer. You know the vibe, right? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and, it, and it just looked like that. I was like, Ugh. anyway. So I like picked it up and it slayed, slayed <laughs> any yeah. other jazz bass I'd played up until then. So all that to say that this is why shopping online for basses really, really sucks. Um, yeah. Like it really does, especially for the sort of like the the older instruments especially yes. for the older instruments yes. the newer instruments i would say are actually more consistent, more consistent. so i totally agree yeah so yes. for instance i have owned oh check this out got the oh, got the banana base right here right yeah dude so, so i've owned like a bunch of f bases yeah um, in the past and it's well every every single one's like like a badass right so I've, yeah. they're just like really consistent i will say um two things that there are other bases well how far do i go down this rabbit hole um i my, my own opinion on why f bases are so consistent um is that they they do one thing and do it well mm -hmm. you know so Hey, what's your F base made out of? Ash. Oh, really? What's your F base made out of? Ash. You they know, do the same thing. It's yes. the same thing. Same body shape, right. same pickups, same circuit, same everything. Yep. So they just, uh, my my kind of sort of like, uh, I guess sort of like intuition is telling me that they're really consistent because of um, the way that they've, they just do that one thing really well. But I will yeah. say that there's, you know, other modern makers that are very consistent as well. I will also say, just to put my freaking, you know, two pennies worth in, um, some of the higher makers as well in that bracket aren't, I've had, I'm not going to mention any names, but recently I actually played a higher, higher end instrument from yes. a boutique manufacturer. Meh. You know, I know, wasn't, dude. Yeah. I've had that too. Could have been better. I have had that too. Yes, uh, hey, could have been better. Let me give you another another amazing example of consistency. Every single lull bass that I've ever played. This is a Mike Lull. I am a four baby. This oh, bass yeah, is incredible. And I will tell you something about like a builder like Spencer. Um, he'll try some different things. So this is interesting. This is like Thunderbird pickups, which are inherently like a little darker. They're humbuckers, but every wood then thing is trying to bring out high end out of them. So this is a solid swamp ash body. This is a maple graphite maple reinforced neck. And then this, I'm sorry, a maple with graphite reinforcements neck one piece and then an ebony board. So it's a bright wood combo. Right. It might be a little too yeah. bright for maybe straight jazz bass pickups, but for Thunderbirds, it's it's a reason. Right. It's like it's an intention yeah, yeah. instead of just like, oh, let's slap a bunch of crap together and see what happens. There's intention around it. And that's what F bass brings too is this intentional recipe. And I happen to be a little more adventurous. I love to try different stuff and just see what happens. But I will say, like, if you order, if you order a lull or in Scott or in Scott's example, if you order an F bass, you're going to get an instrument that is that is not going to disappoint you. I mean, it might not necessarily be the thing that you were hoping for, but it won't be bad. It won't be a dog. It won't be like worse than another F bass or than another yeah, yeah, lull yeah, that you yeah. could get. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're all going to be pretty like within a very tight tolerance of one another, which is exactly cool. that. Yeah. 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 I think can, so, I, can I, they go for it. Can I give you a pitch? Can I give you a pitch? What yeah, do you go. think of this? Go for it, dude. Let's say you're going to buy an instrument. Maybe it's a new instrument. Maybe it's an old instrument, but maybe you're looking at something that's going to cost a few bucks. Here's my pitch. Budget in to your purchase a trip out there. I wonder if you could go to Seattle or to Chicago, or if you're in the UK, if you could go to London for not a ton of money and spend the afternoon, you wouldn't even have to stay there all night. Or maybe you get a hotel. I mean, what's this going to cost? This is going to cost potentially an extra, what, thousand dollars at most. Now, some of you might be like, that's insane. 
But what will happen is if you go out to Chicago and spend the day at Chicago Music Exchange, you go out to London and you hang at the base gallery, like what will happen is you'll get to try all the stuff and you might find, you might actually, you might actually save money because you might be going out there to buy that custom shop thing or some, you know, old jazz bass that's worth 10 grand and you might find something you might find that like Lakeland, you might find that that's $8,000 less and you might go, holy crap, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Go there. Make friends with the shop owner. Make friends with the person that builds the instrument. I'm going to go out this fall to Seattle and hang out with Spencer and play all those basses and enjoy. Yeah. You got to go out and hang out with Marcel. Like you gotta, yeah, dude. You gotta get out there, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's something about going to the place that is just, it's it's priceless. It's amazing. And one and one other thing, yeah. real quick, I went out to Chicago on a tour, and I was dead set on buying a Guild Starfire with two pickups, and it was going to be expensive. I didn't care. I had the money. I was going to do it. And then I played it, and it was crap. No. And then I looked to the right. And there was a Starfire that only had one pickup, the neck pickup. And it was a couple, it was like $2,000 less. And I went, "Eh, I've never wanted this, but maybe I'll, and I played it and it's magic. Amazing. And that's the one I bought. Right. And so a, if you can go make it a fun thing, make it a pilgrimage, make it a trip, plan on going somewhere. And trying these things and meeting the people and building a relationship, that's going to be, it's going to inform you so much on what you're buying. And then you'll get to try them all and see what you're actually, you like, if you know, you're there in the, in the place with the bases and the people that, what do you think about that? What do you yeah, think about that? it's it's. I guess it's just it's a tough it's a tough spot to be right now, isn't it? Because online is obviously the th- like the the sector that's blowing up in terms of uh, music and musical instrument sales. But the fact of the matter is that um, what you what you see on a website is not is zero representation of what it's going to play like. And the yeah. older the instruments, the more that comes into play. So. Yeah. I love the idea of of get, getting a real relationship with a, with the seller, like yes. you know people that like shops that have where you can build like real rapport and yes. and and that like, you can get and you can have trust with them. Like people like Andy, for instance, Andy Baxter. Like I'm sure that there's other shops out there that you could build sort of like that relationship with. Um, and then also from a shop perspective, like I'm not sure that anybody's doing this right now, and I'm not even sure if it's even economically possible but some kind of sort of like try before you buy you know and obviously would not work overseas but something like you know 14 days return or something like that yeah whatever and you know, I, I'm I feel not like sure. a lot of shops do offer like a seven or 14 day window which is totally cool i mean it, it, there's just something about like shipping a base and then you know you're just worried about shipping it and then like shipping it back oh god i mean i know i just yeah. It's it's dicey. I've had bases damaged in shipping before, and I've had mostly good experiences with shipping, but some really awful experiences. Yeah. Um, I, so I guess, yeah, it's just I don't know. Here's what I'll say, right? So maybe we're not. Maybe we're talking to. Well, the reason why I'll put out why I think it's important is because it always just gets me by surprise. Even though I know it, it always surprises me when it happens. Even though yeah. it's happened multiple times. It right. still surprises me. I so, know, me and, too. And I'm lazy. There's like a base <laughs> shop like two and a half hours away from here. And I would, even knowing this, even knowing mm. what I know, I would still sort of like, yeah, I'll, just go, I'll buy it online and, you know, and all of that. And I should, I should, to your point, I should make the trip. I should you make should. the trip. If it's in London, I should jump on the train. It's like three hours. I should make the trip. And yeah. just because I think that going to those shops, as Ian said earlier, you might the thing that you've gone for might not be the thing. So um, true. And in many ways, probably isn't when you start right. playing all of the other bases, but you might find the thing. It's just yeah. so much better to put yourself in a situation where you can actually try out the instruments and uh, yeah. yeah. And just see that like how the sausage is made if you're going to a maker too. Like if you if you 
go see Lull. Oh, yeah. Like, if you go yeah, see Lull, they're, they're a repair shop. They do repairs on other instruments, and they build. And, I mean, seeing that, and also, hey, look, I know Spectre, like, if anybody from Spectre's listening, I know you guys don't do, like, public tours of the custom shop, but I think you should. I think you should. <laughs> I had an experience where I got to walk through and pick materials for a build, and I think that they should awesome, offer that yeah. as a higher tier, like, price point. Like, if you want yeah. an experience where you get to walk around with Will, and pick out materials in your top and everything for a base, I think they should offer that. I think you should offer it, Spectre, because it was incredible. And it connected me to that brand like never before. I've loved them forever, but getting to do that and getting to pick out the neck billet and, you know, Will saying, ah, this is what you kind of want to look for and getting to write my name in silver pencil on the top. Hell asking, yeah. should I do that? And like, of course, I mean, it gets sanded. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah Write yeah, your yeah, name yeah. on it. You know, I would pick out a thing of wood and Will would go, great. That's the fingerboard you want of all of all 20 uh, ebony boards. That's the one. And I'm like, yep, he goes, write your name on it. And he would give me a silver pencil. And I would. And I will never forget that experience. It was amazing. It would be like if you have the money to spend on an instrument, like doing something like that, going and having uh, an experience like that with the builder is worth its weight in gold. You'll never forget it as long as you get it. Yeah. So, so dude, pilgrimage. Yes, you're absolutely right. Pilgrimage. Next confirmed interview for base space 2023. Who is it? John Taylor. Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah, dude! Duran, Duran, yeah, dude, that's gonna be awesome. So, uh, so, uh, what, what's the first thing you'd ask John Taylor, Scott? Pant size. <laughs> oh, well, I would ask him trouser size. Oh, oh so. yeah, trousers versus pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Does he want like? Does he like it tight? A loose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Incredible. So we've incredible. got Base Base 2023 coming up July. Yeah, we do. Like mid July. 14 through 16. July 14 through 16. It's going to be awesome. Three days. Um, totally free to come. Um, it'll be oh. great to see you there. It'll be wild. Now, pedals. Give it yeah, to dude, me, Alison. Let's actually, do it. Yeah, this is, uh, I guess, sort of like a selfish question from me analog versus digital. Give me a pitch because I know that you like analog and you use a lot of digital. We've been geeking out for a week on analog pedals, even though you've been sitting with a, you know, with a analog, a digital pedal. Sorry. I know. Um, So, well, it's here's, yeah, here's my take. I was going to say, speak to the person that sort of like doesn't know. They're like, I'll give you two scenarios. One individual is like, they're a little bit, oh, I'm not sure. Is it digital? Is it analog? Is it a mix of both? That's one. Second scenario is an individual, a bit, bit more like me. Uh, maybe I am the individual. Can't deal with complexity. It's either one or the other, dude. Just tell me. Okay. Sure. There you two. Um, okay. Oh. Well, well. He, here's, here's the thing. There's a misnomer about, oh, hold on a minute. Oh, I got, I got a little... Hold on. Oh, yeah. My headphones died for a sec. I'm back. Can you hear me? back. Yeah, dude. All right. Uh, So there's a misnomer about what that means. And briefly, an analog pedal means that your signal goes through an analog, you know, pots and resistors, and it might be a circuit board and everything, but it never gets changed to ones and zeros. What a digital pedal means is that it goes through essentially like a computing function where your signal, your analog signal from the cable going into the pedal gets converted by a a converter into ones and zeros into a digital waveform representation then those ones and zeros can be changed in a in a variety of ways and you can have you know wild uh, synthesizer sounds or you can have you know like the digital pedals can do you know quote unquote more because they've changed your analog signal into data into digital data and then after that digital processing has happened then it goes back into another converter and it changes the digital back to analog spits you out so it goes through more stuff right and there's kind of this thing out there of like oh analog is better it's warmer it's like the difference between cd and vinyl Mm. and i just think that that's crap 
I don't think it's true. I think that maybe it used to be true. Maybe the early, early digital delays, digital reverbs maybe had sort of a harshness because the conversion wasn't great. But now cheap converters are great. I mean, the converters that they use, like, for instance, in the HX Stomp made by Line 6, which I love, are great. Pedal sounds awesome. If you blindfold tested someone running into that pedal with no effects on, just, you know, you're running through the conversion and out versus true bypass, like you're running through the DSP processing of that pedal, but no effects are on. And then you're running through it um, bypassed. I bet you'd all get it wrong because what digital conversion does too is buffer and keep your high end intact throughout the whole chain of the process. And so you might actually think, Ooh, there's one that sounds better, more clear, a tiny bit louder, warmer, and that's the digital one. <laughs> oh, God, I love it, dude. I love it. Um, so, you know, it, of course, depends on the converters that are being used, and it just depends on the maker. But I don't think you should have any kind of... um like, oh, I only use digital. Oh, I only use analog. It to- It's totally fine. Uh, now, there is something, though, Scott, where I wonder, have you ever used a pedal that is like a triggering pedal where like like the Source Audio C4, for instance, or the legendary Akai Deep Impact, yeah, yeah, which was yeah. a synthesizer pedal. There are pedals, or like uh, the Electroharmonics Bass Microsynth is another great example, where what happens is it takes your input information and uses that input information to trigger a different sound. And those pedals can be really difficult to use because they're disconnected from your fingers. Uh, Boss makes, I mean, I love this pedal, but uh, the Boss SYB 3 and 5 and the SYB stuff, it's synthesizer stuff, but it's triggering. They're using your signal and they're digital, but what they're doing is they're using your signal to trigger a completely different sound. And those pedals can be really wild and radical sounding, but they get completely divorced from your, uh, from your dynamic, from your nuance, from yeah. your attack, your cutoff. You have to yeah. play them very specifically to get them to react the way that you want. Yeah. And those pedals have been difficult for me. Like people have been like, oh, Ian, you got to just get a Source Audio C4. You can do anything with it. And I have tried. I've owned that pedal several times. That's and I so always interesting. Because it doesn't feel real to me. It doesn't feel like it's connected to my hands. Whereas digital pedals or analog pedals that are not trying to just use your input signal as a trigger for a sound, no problem. Like I'm, I'm using uh, analog and digital synthesizer or like pedals right now in my main board, I've got three leaf octave three leaf fuzz or called a doom two. Those are analog. And then I use other sounds, other synthesizer sounds and other digital reverbs and digital chorus inside the HX stump. I blend the two worlds together and I love it. I love it. Done. How'd I do? Awesome. I've got no questions. You guys got any questions? No questions, dude. No. Nothing. Um, no. I will say this for you, Divine. You have uh, you have one of the funkiest freaking envelope filters I have ever heard in my life, and I couldn't believe it, dude. When I was there, that envelope filter that you have, Scott has a thing called an Emma Electronics E M M A discombobulator. <laughs> it's outrageous, isn't it? I hate the name of it. I have to just say, I hate it. I hate the name Discombobulator, but that's Who fine, it? dude. Emma, 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 e- Emma, E-M-M-A. Is it Emma Audio or something? Emma Electronics. Oh, oh Emma Electronics, it, yeah. I found it immediately <laughs> on Reverb. I think I took a little sneaky, cheeky peek even when we were sat in the studio at Leeds. Really? I took a look. You started oh, playing look, that I'm thing, and I was here, like, yeah. dang. Oh, um, yeah, here Scott, it is. They've got the D- Discombobulator Navigator Delay. Yeah. That pedal, it's under the radar, you guys. Um, there's a version two. You have the version two, which has like more of a graphic on it. The, the version one is for sale a lot on Reverb. I see, and they're cheap. But the version two is the one that Scott has, um, and it has like graphics of maybe an astronaut or something on it, like radio yeah. towers or 
something. I, I, <laughs> I mean, if it were me, I'm like, come on, let's up that. Let's up that aesthetic game. But that's just me because I'm a jerk. I'm a bitch about that stuff. Uh, but it sounded incredible. That pedal to me is a really, really syrupy, cool sounding envelope filter. Yeah. And I always have and always have done for a long time. I have an issue with envelope filters, actually. I, can yeah, they're hard I, I to use. struggle to get them to sound how, how I want them to sound. Yes, it, they're really so that, difficult. That's the first thing. Second thing is I went to their website and Pino Palladino's on there playing that exact pedal. <laughs> Did you know that before today? No. Wow. Dude, here's something. I don't know where I got that pedal from. That's amazing. I don't know where I got it from. I've had it for, I just, yeah, I've just had it for a long time. And uh, yeah, it kills it. Eda Nielsen use it as well. Really? Well, yeah. I better buy one before this episode comes out because they're all going to double in value. Yeah. How I'm much sorry. are they? How much are they? They're not that expensive, dude. They're 200 and some bucks, I think. Oh, maybe they don't even do, oh, they do do them direct, I think. Oh, maybe they don't. Yeah. Weird. Well. Um, oh, 189 euros. Oh, so they're obviously sold out. It says on there. So, oh, interesting. I wonder if they're taking a batch approach, like Maybe, Mr. Spencer yeah. Doran from Three Leaf Audio. Ooh, that stuff rips, man. That's <laughs> that so interesting, rips. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, what I'm talking about, it, as Scott's looking here online, um, Spencer Doran from Three Leaf. If you know Three Leaf, I have their. Their octave pedal and their Doom 2, which is like a low-gain fuzz. He is so smart. He is just releasing in small batches now, and he did a Doom 2 run. It's That's one of my favorite pedals of all time. It's such an interesting-sounding fuzz. And uh, they sold out in under 30 seconds. In fact, if you didn't have Apple Pay, you didn't get it. Like, if you had to enter your – like, if you went through the PayPal process, they were already gone for customers that were using Apple Pay. So I think he did he did a drop of 50 and then 12 hours later he did another drop what, of 50. The Doom so he two. did 100 the Doom 2 and they they went each time 100 pedals sold uh in under 30 seconds. I bet in under 20, maybe under 50. How many does it do a year? 900, yeah. Well, he's doing yeah, he's doing 300 Dooms this year, 300 Protons, which is their envelope filter and 300 um octave pedals outlandish and love this and and he is he makes an amazing amazing product those are all analog that's an all analog pedal um it feels very connected to your playing very dynamic very cool um that said it would be cool if he introduced a pedal that had digital aspects as well and you could save presets or he probably won't do that but um <laughs> just because it's because it's analog doesn't mean necessarily that it's better again, but um, it's not a triggering. None of it is like triggering synth stuff. If you combine Spencer's Octave, the Doom, and a Proton, it is like synth heaven. It's incredible and responds exactly to the touch that you're using. And Which Octave have you amazing. got? The Octave of <laughs> Yeah, he made that um, with Tim LaFave in mind. So it's like, yeah. he's just called the Octaver, but it has like Tim LaFave's name in it. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, was vibe, a bold, right? it was a, like a bold choice, like a bold naming choice. Because uh, everybody is like, how do you pronounce that? It's like, ah, it's just Octaver. Yeah. And um, which one have you got? The big one? So there's a big one, the Mark II. There's also a small one. Listen, the best one I think that he has ever made without a shadow of a doubt, my favorite sounding one, because dude cannot stop tweaking circuits. So every single <laughs> release is different. It's different. Every one. Uh, and my favorite is the Mark II white Octaver. Uh, it's That's the large incredible. one, right? Yep. It's it's my favorite one. And I just got used to it. You know, the Mark III that he makes is cool, too. It's smaller. It yeah. saves space on a board. But um, I have one of those as well, and I don't like the way it sounds as much as the Mark II. The Mark II, to me, is the best octaver ever been made ever in the world, in the history of octave pedals. Dude, my gearness has been filled. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You heard it here. Okay. We did it, dude. Let's call it. Guys, guys, thanks for listening. So fun. Yeah. 
Great. And hey, leave us a review uh, wherever you shout at us. Let us know what you want us to talk about. We're looking at these comments. We're reading the reviews. We're checking out. We want to make this show awesome for you. So give us feedback anytime. We're going to check it out. We're going to pay attention to it. Bye. Bye.